Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Collierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncollierville.org. So before the pandemic, a friend of mine invited me to go to a Grizzlies game. Now, a few weeks before that, my family had gone. And to give you an idea of where we sat, we had to have rappelling equipment in order to get out of our seats and leave the FedEx Forum. We were above the air conditioning system, I believe. Airplanes were circling below us. That's how high we were. That's how bad the seats were. So this friend said, come to the game with me. I have tickets. I'm not really sure where they are, but I'm a big basketball fan. I root for the Grizzlies, grit and grind. I'm going to go. Well, we go to the FedEx Forum, and simply on accident, we are in the car. A policeman slows us down. We're trying to find the right parking lot, and he looks at our tickets, and he laughs. And he said, you don't have to park in a public parking spot. You're parking inside the FedEx Forum. So we drive in the building, and we go up a ramp, and we walk in the door. Again, we have no idea where our seats are. Maybe we we're just lucky in terms of our parking situation. The attendant looks at our tickets and he says, welcome to the Grizzlies. I will show you to your private suite. Now I'm, we're walking down the hallway and I'm thinking, private seat? I've never had a private suite or a private seat. This is incredible. It cannot get better than this. We go into the suite. We sit down. I'm looking out at the court, the best seats I've ever had for a sporting event. This lady taps me on the shoulder. And I turn around and look at her. She says, hi, my name's Amanda. I will be your server this evening. In the room next door is a buffet that will be open until halftime. Please help yourself. This is how foolish we were. We had eaten dinner before the game. But that wasn't going to stop us because things kept getting better. Halftime comes, and I'm thinking to myself, the greatest sporting event I've ever been to, I don't even know what the score is. I'm so infatuated with our seats and the buffet and every, all the ways in which I'm being served. Amanda comes back, and she looks at me, and she says, I would like you to know that at halftime, one of the traditions in these private suites is that we serve you warm, fresh-baked cookies and cold milk, died and gone to heaven. This was unbelievable. It couldn't get better than this. The game's over. We're leaving. My friend looks to me, and he says, I guess that was the last Grizzlies game I will ever go to. I said, why do you say that? And he said, I cannot go back to regular seats. I have seen the best, and this is what I want. And so when we look at Mark this morning, there's a similar thing going on here. S very subtly, Mark is telling his readers, Mark is telling us that all of the Bible culminates in Jesus, that he is 
the best of the best. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. The Son of God, the King of kings has come. There is none greater. And this is all that we need. Let me pray for us. Lord God, may Your Word sink to the depths of our soul and change us. Encourage us. Father, through our encounter with Your Word this morning, may we see Jesus and see Him only shape and mold us to look more like Him. Amen. There's three things that we're going to look at very briefly this morning. A promise fulfilled, baskets that are filled, and a heart that is filled. Let me say that again. A promise fulfilled, baskets that are filled, and a heart that is filled. First thing. This promise, this promise of fulfillment. When we come to our text and we see Jesus feeding the thousands, at first blush, we think, I've read this before. Is Mark confused? Is Mark repeating the story? But that's not the case at all. Because there's, there are very different things happening in this story, if you will remember that Jesus feeds the thousands, he feeds 4,000. But the text tells us that it's 4,000 people complete. The previous miracle where Jesus feeds 5,000 is only speaking about men. So the crowd would have been much larger if you take into consideration the men and the women and the children. This is an audience of 4,000. And we know from the previous chapter that Jesus is in a very different region. He's in a very different part of the ancient Middle East. And so they are different stories revolving around the same miracle where Jesus feeds hungry people that He is concerned about. Jesus shows them compassion. But there's something very interesting and something very subtle that's important to notice in this text. And we need to go all the way back to the Old Testament in order to understand it. So if you think about what I said with Adam and Eve and Abraham during the baptism, you understand that God continues to come to His people and He's patient with them. And they continue to do what? Sin and turn from Him. And so God comes to Noah, and He comes to Abraham, and He comes to Moses, and God is wanting to save His people, and He's wanting to establish the kingdom of God, and He's wanting to bring His people back to the conditions that existed in the garden before sin. I want to take you back to perfection. I want to bring you into my presence forever. I want you to be blessed and to know me. I don't want you to experience the difficulties and stress and the hardness of living apart from me, living under the curse. And finally, we get to King David. The people of Israel, in their rebellion, they find their own king, Saul. And what does God do? Because he's patient and he's gracious and he's merciful. He says, you know what? You want a king? I'll give you a king. I'll give you King David. And so he raises up this shepherd boy. And he raises up the nation of Israel under the Davidic monarchy. And scholars and archaeological scholars will tell you that the 
the monarchy of David was powerful. And God says to Israel, I'm going to give David a son, and he is going to build a temple, and that is where my feet will rest on earth. And you are going to be a great nation. You are going to be a kingdom of priests. And because of the greatness that I bestow upon you, the nations of the world are going to come into your presence. They're going to want to see Yahweh, the God that you worship, because of all that I am going to do for you. And that eventually one day I'm going to raise up a son of David and he will save you and your king and this kingdom will last forever. Great things. Great promises. And what does Israel do? Well, within a matter of generations, they've divided in half. Evil kings rule on the throne of Judah and Israel. The temple is what? Destroyed. And the people are taken away from the land of promise into exile. Bad news. Terrible situation. And so if you are an Israelite who's in exile, you're looking at the situation and you are thinking to yourself, these promises are not true. God does not want anything to do with us and we deserve this because of our covenant unfaithfulness. Before we come to the period of the New Testament, there are prophets that rise up. And these prophets are like attorneys. They're like prosecuting attorneys. And they're pointing their fingers at Israel and they're saying, you deserve exile, you deserve judgment, and here's why. Here are all the reasons you have been covenantly unfaithful. But then they do something else. They give them a word of hope. And these prophets say that there is going to come a day when God is going to remember His promises because God is gracious and He's merciful and He's patient and a son of David is going to come. And you're going to know this when the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear. But they go one step further. They say when this son of David comes to finally establish this greater Davidic kingdom, it will not only be for you, Israel, but it will be for the nations of the world. Because you failed in your responsibility to be a light to them. And so now we come to Mark chapter 8, and we come to Jesus feeding the 5,000, excuse me, the 4,000, and What's going on here? Where is Jesus? He's in the region of the Decapolis. Well, what does that mean? Jesus is ministering to Gentiles. So Mark is telling his Jewish audience, and he's telling his Gentile audience, pay attention. The promise is being fulfilled. The Son of David is here. The Messiah has come. Here's why. He is not only performing miracles for Israel to show them who He is. He is performing miracles for the Gentiles, the nations of the world. The kingdom has come. God has remembered His promises in Jesus Christ. 
most important thing to understand in this text. Because if you read through it quickly, it just looks like the other miracle. But this is important because you see Jesus establishing His kingdom and He is teaching and performing miracles and bringing to Himself Jew and Gentile. Why? Because He's the one true Israelite. He's the only one who can obey the covenant perfectly. He's the only one that can do the will of God. And He is going to earn all the blessings that God promised Adam and Eve all the way back in the garden. He is going to earn those blessings. And guess what He's going to do? He's going to dispense them to Gentiles and to the Jewish people. Because that's who our God is. He is faithful and He keeps His promises. So when we think about this text and we think about this miracle, what do we do with it? And it's this. It reminds us that God loves us and God has not forgotten us and that His promises are true. This life is not easy. The kingdom has not come in all its fullness. We still live in a fallen and broken world. It is challenging. And amidst those challenges, challenges and those difficulties and in the darkness of life, we can sometimes begin to think, maybe God's not here, maybe God doesn't love me, maybe God doesn't care, maybe His promises are not true. And when we come to this text, we remember how loving God is and the mercy that He has shown upon us and that He sent Jesus not for the Jewish people and the Gentiles of His day, but that He has sent Jesus for the 901. That He has sent Jesus to redeem us and to rescue us and to save us. His promises are true. The promises are fulfilled in Him. Second point. Baskets that are filled. Baskets that are filled. Notice the numbers. It's very important. Notice the numbers. Seven and twelve. Just think about that for a second. There was a professional athlete. I read this story. It was either in the Wall Street Journal or it was in Kipler's mag magazine. I can't remember which one professional athlete, had signed his first contract, he was making millions of dollars. And he goes to a restaurant and the server has to leave for some reason. And he's complaining to his agent who's across the table from him how poor the service is. And suddenly out of nowhere this man comes and he begins to serve him. He waits on him. And he takes care of him throughout the entire meal. And the agent is laughing because the agent knows who he is. The player does not. And eventually this man, they finish their meal and they leave and they go outside the restaurant and he said, you have no idea who that is. He said, the server, the waiter, he wasn't very good at it. And he, the agent laughed and he said, that's the man that signs your checks. He owns the restaurant. He's the owner of your team. And he's one of the wealthiest men in the world. And so they asked, they called the owner, they asked for a quote, and he said simply, I own the restaurant, 
It's my job to serve my customers. But this great player had no idea who he was. And so we come to Mark, and we come to these, this miracle, and we come to the very end, and the disciples are arguing over what? Isn't this mind-blowing? They're arguing over bread. We don't have enough bread. We've come on this journey across the Sea of Galilee, and we only have a little bit of bread. And Jesus uses this opportunity to teach them an important lesson. Jesus understands the challenges of their heart. Jesus knows that they are having a hard time understanding who He is. And so He begins to ask them questions. And he says at the very end of our passage, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. Now where did this miracle take place? It took place in the Jewish country. And then Jesus says, and the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. Now, this miracle took place in the land of the Gentiles. And he said to them, and I'm going to translate here, do you not get it? Do you not understand? Now, Jesus, this question he asked, do you not yet understand? Mark is setting us up for something really amazing in the next few chapters. But in this particular passage, Jesus is challenging them to recognize who He is. and He's even using symbolic imagery. He feeds the Jewish people 12 left over. 12. How many tribes were in Israel? 12. How many apostles did Jesus gather unto Himself as He is recreating Israel around Himself? Twelve apostles in the boat. Jesus is saying to them through this, know who I am. Think about the Scriptures. Think about the Old Covenant. Think about Israel. I am the new Israel. And then, He wants them to understand using the miracle that happens in the Gentile country that He is perfect, that He is the Savior, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Son of Man and Son of God because of the number seven, which is the number of perfection. He's dropping hints to His apostles. You need to understand who I am. You need to recognize that I am the Christ. And so he's asking us the same question today. Mark wants us to examine who Jesus is. Do you know in your hearts who Jesus Christ is? It's the most important question that you can ever ask yourself. Do I understand who this miracle worker is? Do I get it? Or is my heart hard? Now, 
the way Jesus phrases the question to the apostles, we know that their hearts are not hardened. He's asking a formative question. But we saw earlier in the text that the Pharisees, their hearts have been hardened. And so this morning as we gather in this place for worship and as we encounter God's word don't leave this place without asking the question, where do I stand in light of Jesus Christ? Is my heart hardened toward Him? Do I recognize that He is the Savior of the world and that He has given His life for me, that His abundant grace and mercy belongs to me? And I hope and pray that the answer is yes. But then secondarily, as you reflect on that and you think about that, and if the answer is, yes, Jesus is my Redeemer, He is my Savior, He does rule over me, I should want that for others who don't know Him. And so this text should encourage us, Mark chapter 8, as we see Jesus show compassion on others by performing this miracle that we should have compassionate hearts for those who don't know Him, that it's not too late, that this could be the day that they need to hear about King Jesus. And then thirdly, a promise fulfilled, baskets that are filled, and hearts that are filled. If you think about both miracles, but specifically this miracle, Jesus is teaching them. He's looking out over these people in Gentile country and he has compassion for them. He is concerned that they may try to return home and they hadn't eaten and they're exhausted and they, they may get sick. They may be hurt. And really when you think about this miracle, you kind of come to the realization that Jesus is all that we need that Jesus is compassionate and loving towards His people, and that ultimately and spiritually, He is all that we need. We don't need anything more than Jesus Christ. There is nothing better than Him. It's sitting in the private suite with the buffet and the cold milk and the warm baked cookies and watching the game and knowing there's nothing better than this. This is the best sporting event that I have ever been to. And when we come to Mark 8 and we see Jesus performing the miracle and loving the Gentiles and we understand that we are Gentiles and that we were outside of the kingdom of God and that He has graciously offered us an invitation and He has brought us to the banquet and we dine with Him and we will spend forever in His presence. When we rightly understand that and know that, we realize He is all we need. He is all we need. I don't know exactly what you're facing this morning. I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know all your prayer requests, but I know this. that Marriage is challenging. Parenting is hard. The business world is difficult. 
I know that because of the fall, there are stresses and strains that are placed on us that sometimes just make you feel like that you have gotten a terrible seat in a terrible part of the stadium away from the action. And that because of Jesus, we are given entrance into the throne room of grace. Come on. Jesus is our older brother, says, come to me. All who are weary and tired, and I will give you rest. I am all that you need. There is no going back from me. I am the best. So this morning, Trinity, run to Jesus. Run to that miracle worker. Cling to him. Know that he fulfills the promises of God and that there is nothing better than him. Let's pray. Our Lord, our God, our King, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for all that you do for us and how that you have loved us, how you have fulfilled all of your promises in Jesus Christ, how you come to us through the cross, and how the empty tomb promises us eternal rest. Lord God, may we leave this, leave this place this morning knowing that Jesus is our all in all, that He is everything, that He is all that we need. And may we cling to Him, the, the one true Israelite, the one who has kept the covenant perfectly, the one who is perfect. May, he fill, may His love fill our hearts this day. It's in His name we pray. Amen.